Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am doing wonderful. (laughs) I always like when there's a little bit of a pause where you almost ponder, what could my answer be? I know. Well, I feel like (laughs) my life is just one continuous day. I don't know. I feel like every day. Are you Groundhog's Day? I don't know. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I feel like sometimes you just get into those parts. I don't know. I feel like you have certain weeks that just feel like they're the same, you know, that's, yeah. that everything's the same. So yeah, I don't know, nothing crazy. It's just the same. It's hot, it's summer, oh, and we're here doing the podcast, and that's that. It's, there just, you go. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's like Groundhog Day to me. I don't know. I know. My <laughs> husband will always say, he's like, what are we doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, you know, this, that, and whatever. And he's like, okay, but like, do you think soon it'll just be nothing? I'm like, you've been on this planet for 40 right. plus years. There's something <laughs> always going on. Always. Whether you want to be committed to it or not, like, and you can even not plan on something and then something comes up that weekend. So, you know, it's it's life. What we're saying is it's life and we're dealing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Oh, real quick. I'm sorry if there was any noise in the last episode. Somebody commented on um, Instagram and I had my husband listen to it and was like, do you hear this? He's like, barely, but nobody will really notice. We talked about it, I think, in the episode. It was pouring rain by the time the end of our episode came out. And so there's like a little hushing sound at the end on my side because it was a literal <laughs> flood two feet from my head. So I apologize if that sounded um, weird. I tried to cut as much out as I could, but unfortunately when I spoke, you could hear it. Yeah. Um, so sorry, we, we've we had some good audio runs here for a while. Yeah. And, and it wasn't the best. Yeah, and we're actually recording a little earlier in the day today, um, which is good because I feel like it's, yep. we always get those afternoon rains and right now it's beautiful mm-hmm. and sunny, but in a couple of hours – it's probably going to be exactly like it was last week, storming Absolutely. and thundering and lightning. And yeah. Again, weather report, whether you wanted to hear it or not. The weather report, whether you want to hear it. There you go. Like that. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So few things really upset me more than crimes against the elderly. This is something I have mentioned a few different times on the show as being just one of my things that really yeah. sets me off and gets me very upset. Unfortunately, this week's episode is about just that. When 86-year-old Norma Davis didn't answer her phone, a friend went over to check on her in February of 1994. Norma lived by herself in Canyon Lake, California. Her husband, Irwin Sr., had passed away 24 years earlier, and their only child, Irwin Jr., unfortunately died in 1982, leaving Norma alone in the final years of her life. She had originally been born in Manitoba, Canada, but had lived in the U.S. since 1920 when her family emigrated here. Norma was lucky to have a few good friends who looked out for her and helped her take care of things. On February 16, 1994, Norma was supposed to be picked up by a friend for their weekly hair appointment. That day, Norma wasn't responding to phone calls, so when her friend arrived, she just let herself in. Norma was found strangled and stabbed to death in her easy chair in the living room. She suffered 11 stab wounds, and two of them still had knives sticking out of them. Injuries to her neck were so severe that she was nearly decapitated. Investigators believe that Norma was killed about two days before her friend found her body, and that she was strangled with a telephone cord while she was sitting in her chair either reading or watching television. She didn't appear to have put up a fight or struggle with her attacker, which may have meant that she knew the person who killed her. 
It was noticed that Norma's home and her belongings were all mostly in place. Her diamond ring was still on her hand, and although there were a few drawers open, it didn't really look like there had been this big ransacking of the house. On the floor in the kitchen, investigators found Norma's purse, but the cash and credit cards were all still inside of her wallet, so it didn't really seem like robbery was the motive for the murder. A size six and a half shoe print from a Nike Air shoe was found in the hallway, which led officers to believe that the killer was either a woman or a small framed man. All surfaces in the house were wiped clean of fingerprints. So Norma's family and friends are, of course, shocked by her brutal death and said they couldn't think of anybody who would want to hurt her. Of course, she's 86 years old. So, yeah, I can't imagine anybody right. would come to, the, you know, immediately to your Who's mind. Who's got an enemy over, like, 45? Right. Exactly. So one of the people interviewed was Norma's former daughter-in-law. As we said before, her son passed away in the early 80s, long before Norma was killed. But investigators still wanted to speak to Mary. And this was probably because Mary was also Norma's caretaker, so she had a lot of access to Norma. Mary was wearing Nike Air shoes when they actually found her to interview her, which made her instantly, you know, a possible suspect, and they wanted to dig into her story further. She told the police that Norma was a wonderful, very warm person who had no enemies. And by the end of the interview, they were satisfied that Mary didn't have anything to do with the murder, and she was clearly mourning the loss. The detectives were still looking into more leads and trying to get a break in Norma's case when almost two weeks later, a similar murder took place. On February 28th, police were called to the home of 66-year-old June Roberts. That day was actually her birthday, and several people had tried to call her to send their well wishes, but she never answered. Later that evening, June had plans to meet up with two of her neighbors, but when she didn't show up, they went to her house and they found her lifeless body in the den, which June actually used as an office. June was found on the floor next to the desk with a telephone cord wrapped around her neck at least three times. This cord was hooked to a chair that at some point had toppled over onto her body. She wasn't stabbed the way that Norma Davis was, though. Instead, June was bludgeoned to death with a wine bottle. Investigators believe she was hit more than once in the head during the struggle before the cord was wrapped around her neck. It was noted right away that June lived in Canyon Lakes, which was less than one mile from where Norma was found. June and Norma shared the fact that they were both widows. June's husband was a sergeant in the Army, but he passed away in 1988. She had two adult children, and just like in Norma's case, robbery didn't appear to be a motive in June's murder either. Her purse was found and her credit cards were scattered inside of it, but nothing else was missing. The police commander told the media that they couldn't establish a motive and there was no obvious evidence of any robbery. When asked whether or not the two murders could be related, the officer said, quote, There are, of course, some obvious similarities between the two cases, but we just haven't gotten to the point where we can say that they are related in any way whatsoever, end quote. It wasn't for another week that police uncovered a possible motive. June's daughter contacted them to let them know that June's bank had been calling looking for her because they noticed some suspicious activity on her credit card, all from the same day that she was murdered. It was at this point that they realized two of June's credit cards actually had been stolen. The cards were used at around a dozen different businesses in Riverside County, and the person who signed for the transactions sign the name June Roberts, which is a dead giveaway that it's not June Roberts because the police already know that she was not alive at that time. 
Right. The types of things that were purchased with these credit cards quickly revealed that whoever stole them did so with the intention of treating themselves to a moment of luxury. The thief bought swimsuits, cowboy boots, a ski mask, vodka, perfume, fancy shoes in both men's and women's sizes, and a massage at a ritzy spa. Can I tell you, if I was like committing a robbery, you can take me off the list as soon as they say the thief bought swimsuits because there's no way that is like luxury to me. Right. Buying swimsuits is one of the worst no, it's just the things most stressful, I've ever done right. in my life. <laughs> and going shopping for swimsuits is in no way, shape, or form a fun time. No. <laughs> so all of these purchases were made within five miles of June and Norma's murders. So the officers knew that the suspect was likely pretty close by. They interviewed the employees that were on duty when June's cards were used to try and find out more about exactly who used them because, as we said before, they know it wasn't June. They were told that a petite, well-dressed blonde woman with shoulder-length hair who appeared to be in her 30s is who they remember using the cards. And they said this woman drove a brown Cadillac. So the investigators had a composite sketch of the suspect put together while they continued to investigate. Since these two murders were so similar in their M.O., the investigators looked into other crimes committed in the area to see if there were others that maybe followed the same pattern. One report actually seemed like it could be related. It was the attempted murder of a woman named Dorinda Hawkins, just a few blocks from Canyon Lake. She was actually still in the hospital when the police kind of discovered who she was and when they went to speak with her, meaning she had just been attacked very recently, just like the other two women. When Dorinda was presented with the composite sketch they made based on the description from the cashiers, she said that it did look like the woman who attacked her. So once they confirmed that the same person was likely responsible for all three attacks, they took the composite sketch back to Norma's caretaker and former daughter-in-law, Mary, and showed it to her. Mary knew Norma and she knew June, so they thought maybe she might have an idea of you know, what 30-something-year-old blonde woman each of these older women would have, you know, in common. And surprisingly, Mary said that she did recognize the composite sketch. And the craziest part about it was that it was somebody pretty close to Mary. She said that it looked like her 36-year-old stepdaughter, Dana Sue Gray, which had to be the craziest moment for her when the police show her this. And she's like, oh, my gosh, that looks like my stepdaughter. So Dana actually had a key to Norma's house, and she knew June because Mary and her husband, of course, Dana's father, were friends with her. Dana also had access to Canyon Lake, which was a gated and secure neighborhood, um, you know, since her dad lived there and Mary lived there. So she knew the code to the gates and Mm. probably even knew the people at the front. You know, they had seen her there before, so it wouldn't be strange for her to have been coming in there. And further, Dana was actually having a lot of financial problems lately. So we're going to get into what happens next in the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. If you've dealt with food allergies or known someone whose kid has food allergies, you've likely seen firsthand how anxiety-inducing it can be to always be on high alert and carrying EpiPens. Things like birthday parties or just trying new foods can be really scary, but thanks to Ready, Set, Food, it doesn't have to be. My son just turned nine, and we've been navigating the world of food allergies almost his whole life. 
but we aren't alone. In fact, one in 13 babies develop food allergies each year. But it doesn't have to be that way thanks to Ready, Set, Food. Thanks to this evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree. Feeding babies small amounts of common food allergens like peanut, eggs, and milk consistently for six months or more starting at four months of age can actually prevent severe food allergies from developing by up to 80%. And while that information is amazing, how do you actually accomplish it? That's where Ready, Set, Food comes in. Ready Set Food takes the guesswork out of early allergen introduction through things like their daily mix-ins that you simply stir into a bottle or food, or the new organic baby oatmeal that has nine top allergens already inside for a ready-in-seconds healthy meal. Head over to readysetfood.com slash momsandmurder and use code momsandmurder for 30% off your first order of Ready Set Food, and give your child the best chance to avoid developing a severe food allergy. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. There's a saying by Sarah Payne Stewart, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And as parents of teenagers, I think we feel this big time. No matter what's going on in my life, if my kid's having a hard time and struggling, I tend to carry that emotion with me. As moms and humans, we carry a lot. And sometimes we need to invest time and care into our own brains to keep them healthy. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is online therapy that you can do from the comfort of your own home. They offer video, phone, or even live chat-only therapy sessions, so there's no need to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. With BetterHelp, you're able to be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, plus it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. I spent the last several of my therapy sessions discussing things going on with my family that I feel like I'm carrying. It's a big load, and just learning how to work through it is really vital to my overall mental health. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling, I have a hard time sleeping, and when I have a hard time sleeping, I'm overly tired, and when I'm overly tired, problems seem bigger than they actually are, and so on and so on, and the cycle continues. But with my BetterHelp therapist, I'm able to get all my thoughts out to a person who can give me direction and encouragement to get me on track. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com moms. That's betterhelp.com moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing Mary and realizing this composite sketch is actually her stepdaughter, Dana. So we want to go into a little bit about Dana and where she came from. As we said, her father was married to Mary, the former daughter-in-law and caretaker of one of the victims. When she married Mary's son-in-law, Dana already had two sons from her previous relationship. Mary's husband had been divorced from Dana's mother for years since Dana was really just two years old. Now he was married to Mary, and they live in Canyon Lake. After this divorce, Dana went to live with her mom and really only saw her dad a couple times a month. The divorce really took a toll on Dana, who started exhibiting some negative behavior. She was acting kind of like a daredevil and was always up to some kind of destructive antics and really just looking to get attention. Dana's mom, Beverly, tried to get control of her, but Dana just rebelled more and more and eventually started stealing money from her mom's purse. If her mom didn't have any money, Dana would just shoplift from stores. Interestingly, though, this type of behavior was something Dana may have actually learned from her mom. While Beverly was married to Dana's father, she used a lot of medications, maxed out his credit cards, acted aggressively, and treated herself really kind of like the queen bee. When Dana was 14, Beverly unfortunately died of breast cancer. She actually practiced Scientology and did not believe in taking cancer treatments. And by the time she was finally ready to give chemo a try, it was too late. Dana then went to live with her dad and she tried to blend in with his new family. 
In high school, Dana was athletic and always up for an adventure. She had kept that daredevil side and she became an expert skydiver after one of her half-brothers introduced it to her when she was 16. She wrote in the yearbook that her favorite pastime was, quote, getting into trouble and that her favorite place to go was in free fall, which is kind of wild to start skydiving at 16. Yeah. I don't even think I thought you could. I thought you had to be 18, but I could be making that up maybe at the time. Maybe I'm wrong. I wouldn't know. It could be both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) So Dana's friends in adulthood really had the same impression of her, that she was very bubbly and outgoing and never afraid of anything. When Dana was 16 years old, she decided that she didn't like her dad's rules. So she moved out of his house and in with her 23-year-old skydiving jump master. Although she left home early, she did still graduate from high school in 1976. Dana then went on to nursing school and graduated five years later. She went on to work at a community hospital where her favorite part of the job was assisting in the operating room. Her mom's early death is where Dana's inspiration to become a nurse came from. During the time her mom had cancer, Dana was really able to take very good care of her. It was in 1987 while working at the hospital that Dana met William or Bill Gray, who was an ultralight aircraft pilot. They got married that same year, and everybody that knew them was very happy for them because they seemed like the type of couple that was really in it for the long haul. They had a very elaborate wedding where they even had skydivers descend into the ceremony, which I think would be a pretty cool thing to see at a wedding. I mean, it's a little extra. Can you imagine sitting there and then being like, hang on, they're coming. And then somehow their jump doesn't end up right and they end up like two miles away. Now you got to wait for them to drive over. Yeah, trying to get the timing right on that would be a little too stressful for my wedding day, I think. (laughs) I feel like I barely wanted to come. I just wanted to send a gift. If we don't get cake in the next 15 minutes, I'm out of here. Right. Um, In August of 1990, Dana took a job with higher pay at a medical center. And at that point, the couple was making pretty good money. But there was just one problem. They were spending it just as fast as they were making it. Dana and Bill bought themselves a lot of luxury items, including two cars, an ultralight airplane, a couple of boats, a house, and some silk screening equipment. By 1993, the money and the marriage were pretty much over. Dana and Bill divorced at the end of that year, filing for bankruptcy and having their house foreclosed on. Dana also lost her job, but we're unsure of exactly why she was fired because, of course, they don't just tell you that when you call and ask why someone was fired. In the midst of all that, Dana also suffered a miscarriage and was pretty devastated by that loss. But shortly after the divorce was finalized, she moved in with a fellow divorcee, a machinist that had a five-year-old son. Since she was no longer working as a nurse, she was making silkscreen t-shirts to get by. And to say that things were stressful in her life at the time when Norma Davis and June Roberts were murdered, that would be putting it lightly, I guess you could say. Um, Of course, none of that is, you know, a real motive or a reason to murder people, but just kind of putting it in perspective. Dana was at a time in her life where um, things were a little bit stressful for her and she was having, she was in a tight spot. I like that you kept going almost like I was like not believing you and you were trying to convince me, but no, we're on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) So now that officers knew who Dana was, they put together a photo lineup of possible suspects and included Dana's picture among them. They showed the lineup to Dorinda, this woman who had survived the attack by this young blonde woman. Dorinda immediately picked Dana out of the lineup. 
Police then went back to the places where June's credit card was used and showed them the same photos, and they all confirmed that Dana was the woman who had used June's credit cards on the day of her murder. Dana's boyfriend was brought in for questioning while investigators worked to get a search warrant for her house. Her house was also under police surveillance starting at 1 p.m. on March 16th. She, of course, had no idea the police were watching her, and she came home around 3 p.m. that day and then left again later with officers trailing behind her. They watched as she went to the bank, went inside, and came back out with a large amount of cash that she was shoving into her purse. She then drove back home, completely unaware that the police were following her. At around 6 p.m. that evening, the warrant was in and officers were ready to search Dana's home. They were specifically looking for any of the items that were purchased with June's credit cards, as well as those Nike Air shoes. And they ended up finding a lot of evidence in the home. In addition to finding the items she bought with stolen cards, investigators also found keys to the cash register at the antique store where Dorinda was attacked. They found a pair of six and a half Nike Air shoes and later matched them to the prints found at the crime scene. They also found $1,900 cash in Dana's purse, which was the money they had seen her get out of the bank. There was also a checkbook found for another woman as well. Her name was Dora Beebe, and she was from Sun City, California. This wasn't a name that the officers had heard before, so they immediately feared that there was actually another murder victim. Upon finding all of these things, Dana was taken to the station for an interview. She remained calm and collected as she admitted to using June's stolen credit cards, but she denied murdering June or anyone else. Her story was that she just so happened to find June's credit cards next to a dumpster, and she explained that she was a bit of a shopaholic, and shopping put her at ease, so she felt a desperation to use these cards that she found to buy things. During the interview, Dana was wearing a pair of earrings that she had actually bought with the stolen credit cards, and the detectives took those from her to put them into evidence. As the officer was leaving the interview room to take these earrings into the evidence room, another detective came in and said they had actually found another homicide victim who had a very similar MO as Norma and June. It was Dora Beebe, the woman whose checkbook was found among Dana's belongings. Dora had just been found dead a few hours before investigators took Dana into custody. Like the other women, Dora was older and at a time in her life when she had really lived through numerous experiences. She was married to her husband, Ernest, for 55 years before he died in 1979. After her death, Dora's daughter wrote a tribute to her mom, describing what an incredible woman and mother she was. Julie said that her mom made her proud and she was always happy to bring friends home to meet her. She said she made the best pies and she made lovely quilts and she was a better cook than any of the other moms. Julie told the Californian that after Dora was killed, she and her sister went through their mom's house and they found, quote, little pieces of paper with quotes or maxims that had been meaningful to her. Julie particularly liked the one that read, quote, They say, don't look back when you get old, but I spend a lot of time doing it anyway. Maybe if I'd known that when I was young, I'd done a lot of exciting things, so I'd have better old lady daydreams, end quote. That's so cute. I love that so much. (laughs) And it reminds me how boring it's going to be for me. I know. (laughs) I'm going to just be thinking of like the Real Housewives episodes I've seen 50,000 times. This is my older, my golden years looking less golden. Right. Dora's grandson also wrote a public tribute to her. When Dora was murdered, she was living less than seven miles from Canyon Lake. 
It was March 16th, 1994, shortly after 4 p.m., when Dora's friend found the 87-year-old woman dead near the bathroom in her duplex. Dora was lying in a pool of blood, strangled and beaten to death with a steam iron, which was found in the bathroom sink. She had collapsed on top of a telephone, which was used to strangle her, but there were also signs of manual strangulation in her case. Investigators determined that the last time anybody had heard from Dora was around 12 o'clock that same day, and the police believed that she was actually killed at about that same time. Officers were running surveillance on Dana by 1 p.m. that afternoon, and as we said before, she didn't get home until about 3 o'clock. They had already been watching her house for a couple of hours at that point, and then after that, she went to the bank and withdrew that $2,000 from Dora's account. Hmm. Yeah. Nothing in the investigation indicates that Dana knew Dora prior to attacking her, which is interesting because she did know the other two victims. So this right. was the first one that they were really like, this This was a totally random. Somebody that she just picked didn't even, you know, didn't know her. And we're going to get into the rest of the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We'd all like to be forever young, but once you hit a certain age, you might feel like you're headed down the hill instead of up it. And NADs are responsible for creating energy at the cellular level and regulating hundreds of cell functions in your body. Plus, it's actually found in every single cell of your body. But the truth is, NAD levels go down as you age, and these decreased levels are linked to faster biological aging, as well as slowing down vital body functions, which is why I'm using Basis Elysium Health Supplements. Basis by Elysium Health is clinically proven to increase levels of NAD by 40% both safely and sustainably. It's no surprise that as we age on the calendar, our body ages and sometimes needs supplements to get it functioning where we need it to be. Basis by Elysium Health supports cellular energy at the cellular level and helps your metabolism while helping maintain healthy DNA. It also reduces general tiredness and fatigue as well as promotes healthy skin. Go to trybasis.com slash murder and enter code murder at checkout to save 10% off basis prepaid plans as well as other Elysium Health supplements. That's trybasis.com slash murder and use code murder at checkout to save 10%. Thank you Elysium Health for sponsoring this episode. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music... 
Everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about police finding this new victim, Dora Beebe, and realizing, again, the connection to Dana. And so once police found out about Dora, they went back to Dana and they talked to her again. This time, though, she confessed to all of the murders. It's theorized that Dana was driven to kill because of her financial problems and because she simply didn't want to lose the life of luxury she once had before her divorce. Dana was booked into jail under suspicion of murder in the case of June. When she was officially charged with the murder, she pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. The judge then denied her bond. Police went public with the news and stated that Dana was also a suspect in the other murders of Norma and Dora, as well as Dorinda's attempted murder, but they were still investigating the case before adding any further charges. On March 18th, she was charged with Dora's murder and Dorinda's attempted murder, as well as multiple counts of robbery, but they were still investigating Dana's possible role in the murder of Norma Davis. After Dora's murder, the media took notice and started focusing on the murders and telling the stories of Dorinda, Dora, Norma, and June. Neighbors were terrified, and they equipped themselves with new locks, security systems, and lighting, and even personal defense weapons. Security in the Canyon Lake neighborhood was increased, and visitor access was suspended. It was learned that in total, between all three murders and the robbery, Dana accumulated about $5,000 in cash and merchandise, which is amongst four people. You've taken away three lives. You've almost killed another person. And it was $5,000 worth of stuff. It really just seems like there wasn't a plan beyond like, hey, I just want to go shopping. Like, right. obviously it wasn't well thought out because if it was, you would think that she would have gone like aimed a little higher, you know, and it's just, I don't know. It's so sad, of course, because these people did not deserve to be killed that way. But yeah, no. just to think that somebody would do do these types of heinous crimes. These were like very personal murders. These were very up right. close and personal. They were stabbing and strangling. And I don't know. I have my thoughts about that, too. But just to go shopping, like it just doesn't really add up. You know, it seems no. it just seems so out there. It really does. And what really doesn't make sense to me, though, is she had that history of shoplifting. So it's not like she hadn't done that before. You know what I mean? Right. Like, okay, instead of killing people, why don't you just steal these things you just have to have? I don't know. It It is, I mean, it's good that we don't understand how she did it because then we would be in the same of course. page of her. Right. Yeah. So after Dana was arrested, her half-brother Rick told the media he was shocked when he heard that his sister was a serial killer. But he didn't have a really hard time believing it. He said Dana really had a lot of dysfunction in her life and in her family from the beginning. Dana's friends, however, thought the news was totally unbelievable. One friend named Lisa said Dana helped her numerous times by being a good friend and caring about Lisa's problems. Lisa said Dana was a great nurse and she gave the best care to her patients, often going above and beyond what was required of her. Lisa said that she knows people can change over time, but she could not imagine how Dana could change that much. On September 9th, 1988, right before the start of her trial, Dana pleaded guilty to the murders and robberies of Dora Beebe and June Roberts and the attempted murder and robbery of Dorinda Hawkins. In exchange for her plea, Dana was not convicted of Norma Davis's murder and she avoided the death penalty. 
as part of her plea, she was not allowed to appeal her convictions, which to me is one of the best parts of her plea, that it can just be done. On October 16th, Dana was sentenced to life without parole. In January 2003, Dorinda Hawkins passed away in the hospital at the age of 66. Today, 64-year-old Dana is incarcerated in the Central California Women's Facility, and she will spend the rest of her life there. Also incarcerated there is Louise Turpin, the woman who, along with her husband, held 12 of their children captive inside their home. Do you remember that story, Melissa? Oh, my gosh, I do. It was the wildest story. Um, I follow one of the girls on TikTok. Like, I can't remember oh, the my name gosh. of her, her last yeah. name. But it's kind of why, like, knowing that story and then seeing her, it's it's like a disconnect almost for me. But, yeah, yeah that is one of the most horrific stories. It involves children, obviously, so – you know, we wouldn't want to look into it. it. Right, exactly. We wouldn't cover it, but it is, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another inmate that's there that is kind of infamous is Susan Atkins, and she was an associate of Charles Manson's. Um, She had died there in September of 2009, but she was housed there, I guess, with, along with Dana at the same time. Um, So according to a May 2014 New York Daily News article, Dana, quote, sometimes sends collectibles to murderabilia, murderabilia like memorabilia but like i I hate that okay yeah sometimes she sends her collectibles to murderabilia websites um someone has already scooped up the 250 (gasps) dollar autographed panties but other objects are still up for grabs including 65 dollar hand tracings and a prison worn t-shirt decorated with a drawing of a blue butterfly perched on a skeleton's hand Hold on. I need to read that last sentence again. Decorated <laughs> with a drawing of a blue butterfly perched on a skeleton's hand on a It's a prison a worn t-shirt? Yeah, I guess somebody I guess they just draw on their t-shirt. So somebody drew a skeleton's hand with a blue butterfly on it on a prison shirt and now they're selling That's it. That's a lot going on there. That's a lot going on there. I don't even think Kanye would try to pull that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh. Um, $250 for autographed underwear. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Mm-mm. No, I don't like that. I, I appreciate like the places that do have like uh, certain memorabilia there. I would not call it murderabilia. Yeah, like, that's so you know, gross. Yeah, like Al Capone's. Well, no, that wouldn't be one. Al Capone's car. Did he have a car? If he had a car, I can see that being somewhere. Um, but, you know, things like that. But I don't know. I have a hard time know. with stuff like this. I do too. And paying see, her. I like um, to go to museums and see things from right. historical events or from like really big crime cases and stuff. And sometimes they sure. will keep that stuff like in a muse, like actual museum. Um, and I guess I'm okay with that. But like, I don't know about people just going around buying like artifacts from actual crimes just to have for themselves. I think that's a little. Well, and this is like know. straight up selling your underwear from yeah. prison. <laughs> this is not like a murder. It's from a murderer, but it's not like part of the crime, which also, I don't know, there's a whole ethical thing with all of it that we don't have to get into now. But yeah, I don't get that. But I definitely don't get this. I don't understand giving her the money. No. At all. Okay, Melissa, let's turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go, before the rain showers come. Before the rain showers. Yes. Um, Yeah, that sounds good. Um, So... We are doing hmm, just like fun things in July or fun facts about just July. interesting facts. Let's not call it fun. I don't like to call anything a fun fact because then people are like, well, that wasn't fun at all. <laughs> Did they say that? Did I people say that? I got a, 
I'm not reading the reviews, but just let me know. (laughs) Okay. These are things that are probably true that we found on the internet that likely took place in July or Or have to do with July. July. (laughs) Yes. They're on the theme. But anyway, so that's what we're doing. So Mandy, would you like to kick it off with a fact with no emotion tied to it, whether it's fun, terrible, or the worst fact you've ever given somebody. Would you like to kick it off? Oh, this is definitely the worst fact I've ever given someone. Oh, no wonder you don't want to do fun facts. Go ahead. Okay. So it was in the month of July that the first rabies vaccine was successfully given to a person. So here's the story. Yeah, go ahead. Here's the story. This is awful because I didn't realize it was actually a child that got the very first rabies vaccination. It was a nine-year-old named Joseph Meester. And this was in what year would you think the first rabies shots was was given? I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say like 1885 because it's on my list as well. (laughs) But I didn't write the story down. I was like, wow, that is a really good (laughs) guess. Um, Yeah. So this child was bitten by a rabid dog and Louis Pasteur was unsure whether this vaccine would be successful, but decided that it was worth testing. And fortunately, it was. And the boy (laughs) lived and it worked. And then we got a rabies vaccination. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I saw some crazy thing on TikTok. That was back when you could use children as guinea pigs for new medications. (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, On TikTok where a lady got bitten by maybe a raccoon and she had like 90 rabies vaccines or something crazy. It was like 90 shots she had to have. I've never heard of that. I don't know about 90. I've I've always heard like 12 or 13. Or wait, was it 26? I don't know. No. This it's is what happens more when you like <laughs> scroll TikTok after midnight. You're yeah. just like halfway reading things. And no, I'm with you. Through. It's definitely more than one. I- it's more than one. But I was like, <laughs> lady, are you okay? I was like, she's going to start howling at the moon or something. I didn't know what was going to happen. Okay, Mandy, here is a depressing one. July 5th, 1946. Any idea what happened then? I have a feeling we're just going to both I know can tell you what happened every day around that day, but not that one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> July 5th, 1946, at the famous Piscine Militor. Is that how you say it? Pool. The first bikini debuted in Paris. Oh. Paris. Yeah. 1946, which is not that long ago. That long ago. No, yeah. Um, thanks for nothing. That's what I have to say. Thanks for nothing. Um, but yeah, that, that did. Um, fun fact. This is a Melissa personal fun fact. I have a picture of my grandma have I sent you this picture? And she's on the beach. It was like, she was second place for Miss New Smyrna or whatever years and years ago, but it's around this time. And, um, she only entered the pageant to wait. She was first place Miss New Smyrna to win a bikini because that was a prize. And so there's like this amazing, like very classic picture of her and like five ladies and she's in a bikini and she looks amazing. Wow. Yeah. I love that. No, I don't think you, you. yeah, you haven't uh, shown me that one. Yeah. Okay, so other than July 4th, there are many days to celebrate in July. And one that I thought you and especially your son would appreciate, Melissa, is that July 3rd is actually a day called Stay Out of the Sunday. (laughs) So rude. So hurtful. (laughs) Speaking of which, my son does have a sunburn now. He is a ginger. We went to the beach and he absolutely has a sunburn. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that was it. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So we, so he's very fair skinned. My sister, her husband is from Guatemala. So her kids all have this beautiful, you know, tan skin year round. Well, my son wants to be his cousin. Like he just wants to be him. So if his cousin doesn't wear like a swim shirt, he doesn't want to. So I have to like ask my sister, can you please make your son wear <laughs> a swim shirt? So my son will. And I kept sunscreen on his face, but he was like, no, if my cousin doesn't have to, I don't have to. And I was like, oh gosh. And so of course he comes home and he's got like a sunburn on his face. We were only there two hours. And I was like, buddy, we, we just have to accept some things about ourselves. Honestly. And, <laughs> and I, that we burn is one of them. Right. And it really is a bummer. I totally feel his pain because, you know, I'm very fair skinned too. And my kids are as well. But um, yeah, we burn so fast and it's not fair yeah. as people who live in Florida. I'm like, how, how did we not just come out with like the skin we need to live here. You know? Right. Like, it it does seem no like sense. an evolutionary type of thing that eventually our like if your parents were born here by the time you're born, right. you should be able to adapt to the sun. <laughs> but no, I'm like wearing long sleeves at the beach. I just, I can't take it. Um, here is a good one. July 16th, 1969. This is close to us, Mandy. Do you have any idea what would have happened then? 1969... It might have happened on a soundstage. It might have really happened. There are theories about it, conspiracy theories that I'm sure you have read up on. Oh, the moon landing? There you go. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it might have happened on a soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. A July 16th, 1969, the crew of the Apollo 11 launches from the Kennedy Space Center, which is a cool place to visit if you're in Florida. Um, or visiting Florida. And then four days later, Neil Armstrong was the first human to set foot on the moon. Wow. And um, that's actually perfect fact for you to share because my very last fact has to do with the moon. Ooh. Wow. I love how we don't ever plan these things and it just works out. We plan almost nothing. (laughs) So uh, this is actually something coming up for those of you who like to do things like look outside at the moon and stars only and rainbows rainbows and only everything rainbows. yeah this is um, this is also for you melissa rainbow lovers enjoy big giant <laughs> moons so um actually coming up july's full moon which happens on july the 13th it's wednesday i believe that is the day after this episode comes out so if you yep. listen if you listen to the episode too late in the week then i'm so sorry you definitely missed it um july 13th though the full moon is called the Buck Moon, and it is the biggest and brightest supermoon of the year. So make sure you go out, yeah, um, next week, or this week, rather, and check out the moon. The thing that I'm reading that I don't really know how to interpret says that the moon will be reaching its peak illumination at 2.38 p.m. Eastern time that evening, uh, rising above the horizon just after sunset. But I don't really understand to, well, I guess... It could still be peak illumination while it's sunny here on Earth. I don't know how anything works. Anyway, you're going to see the <laughs> I moon wanted hopefully to like bigger. help you there, but I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Because my either. last cold, uh, my last fact is about how July is either the hottest or the coldest month, depending on what hemisphere you live in. And that has always been something that completely, I don't understand how it's summer here and then winter in like Australia. I'm oh, not yeah. bright enough for that. No. It's about my what day grade. It, right. And what really gets me when I think about the uh, swip swap seasons is at Christmas, right? Like, so all of Christmas stuff here, we have like images of Santa and reindeer in the snow and yeah. it's like very like whatever. But I'm, I always wondered, I'm like, does Santa like have a surfboard there? Because it's not winter whenever. No, Mandy. You know? No. <laughs> can Santa We're not please, doing this. Can Australian Santa please have a surfboard? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us if you're from Australia, how do you celebrate Christmas? Does Santa Claus wear board shorts? We want to know. Because in Florida, you see a lot of stuff like that. Like you that do. is not, it's not weird to us. But I think as you go further north in the US, right. to Canada, it might be a little jarring. But we've seen Santa, you know, with a Tommy Bahama shirt. So right. it's, it's not a surprise. But that is an interesting one. Yeah, I'm always yeah. confused too. Or there's summer. I'm like, it's winter. I don't understand. Basically, what you should learn from the show is we never actually know what's going on, but we try our best. We don't. Okay, and I do have one last thing. It's a saying. It's a saying about July, and I feel like it's very fitting for us and especially our state. So this is from Weather Lore. Weather Lore. (laughs) It's from Weather (laughs) weather Thing. I don't think it needed any any more information. (laughs) So this is the quote. If the 1st of July, it be rainy weather, twill rain more or less for four weeks together. So I guess that means if it starts off raining in July, it's just going to keep raining the entire month, which is accurate. This is like some Groundhog's Day BS. <laughs> I know this is, if the Groundhog sees this or whatever it is about the six weeks of – see, I don't even know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't either. know. I don't know which one it is. I don't believe either one. But yeah, no. I think that's just called July. In July, yeah. it rains every it does. freaking afternoon. It does. It's the only thing that saves us. Um, Maybe. I mean, I hate it, but right. I think we would actually catch on fire if we didn't get – Absolutely. Rain, Absolutely. Right? All right, guys. Well, I think that was it for this week, unless you it have more be. to say, Melissa. It's best if I don't. (laughs) All right, guys. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.